This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to my podcast. Well, today I'm going to talk about a very interesting thing that just happened, and that is that Bernie Sanders has dropped out of the race to be the Democratic Party's nominee for president. Uh, we didn't think it would happen, at least I didn't think it would happen, even though Joe Biden has an impressive lead. And today on my podcast, we're going to talk about it, because as you know, I'm very interested in this race. I've written a book, God Trump in the 2020 election. Maybe we'll talk about how this changes things. And uh, I'm personally happy that he dropped out. Um, I watched the news pretty closely. Uh, he was the only person in the race, in my opinion, who had a personality or a following. The only thing he was very dangerous, in my opinion, he uh, calls himself a democratic socialist, but there is no such thing. He was really a communist, in my opinion, uh, masquerading as a socialist. But it's like somebody said, a, a socialist is just a communist without a gun. And I just can't believe that in America, the, the land of the free and the home of the brave, that we would even let a far left socialist get this far. And even though I think that Donald Trump is going to beat him, the fact is that if he gets on the ticket, there's a 50-50 chance he'll win. And stranger things have happened, including Donald Trump dying at the last minute during the campaign or all kinds of unforeseen things that might make him uh, be elected. Of course, if he's not the nominee, there's no way he could get elected. That brings up the question of how good a, pr a president uh, Joe Biden would be. And maybe we can talk about that today with my friend Charles Hart, who is an attorney in Orlando, Florida, near where I live. And in fact, he is the chairman of the Republican Party of Orange County, Florida. I, I am a, a registered Republican who anybody who knows me knows that, but I live in Seminole County, which is next door. But when the news came across and I thought, who could I get on my podcast? I texted Charles and he was more than happy to uh, talk to me. We're just gonna have a conversation about what's going on. So welcome to my podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate you uh, giving me this opportunity. And uh, anytime I can help you or support you and you know, all well, your I great listeners. Um, and, you know, uh, everyone can watch the news. Everybody already knows that Bernie Sanders dropped out. But, you know, what I want to know is what does this mean? I'd like to know from somebody who is inside the Republican Party, you know, you guys analyze, analyze this a lot more than I do, of course. What do you think that it means and why do you think he dropped out? Well, I, I think that in a nutshell, there's, there's a bunch here. So let me try to unpack it all. The first thing is, is I think that we're watching the Democratic Party suffer through what the Republican Party suffered through in 1996. And then in 2008 is they have very leftist candidates that are pushing them further and further left in order for them to capture the Democrat primary. We had, it, for example, in 1996, when you had Pat Buchanan jump in against George H.W. Bush and it pushed the field further right. And it happened again in 2008 and it almost happened in 2016, Donald Trump where you had a situation where, you know, there was initially that whole, I'm more conservative than you approach. There's no longer a conservative wing of the Democratic Party anymore. And, you know, Sanders gave the Democrats the impression in 2016 that, that they want socialism. I think Sanders actually was the choice of a lot of Democrats in 2016 
because they hated Hillary Clinton that much. And um, what ended up happening was, is that the Democrats thought that that was a move inside their own party to move more socialist. Bernie Sanders got in this race thinking he's going to get that. And it fell apart. It just fell apart flat. And so it's great because it's it's locked all these Democrats into these very, very super liberal, crazy positions. Like I'll always remember watching the debate and they said, raise your hands if you think illegal aliens should have free health care. And all the Democrats on stage rose their hands, including Bernie Sanders, including Joe Biden. So there's that. And then now with them getting out of this race, um, I think it's 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 a big sigh of relief because, you know, look, this is the last thing we need right now is a socialist even being in this race. I mean, you know, I'm a small businessman. Um, you know, I can uh, I can only imagine what we would have going on in this country if we had a socialist whose own campaign staff said, line people up against the wall <laughs> in the sense of shooting them like in Soviet Russia. You know, just a bad man, a bad idea all the way around. Um, of course it is. And, and to me, it almost seems like the Democratic Party is imploding. And when I wrote God, Trump in the 2020 election, I finished it in the fall. Uh, I, I literally finished it around Labor Day. And then we continued to work on it in the editing process on up until about November 1st. And, you know, all the candidates had not even jumped into the race at that point. It was months before the Iowa caucus. It was impossible to know who would run. And I took the opinion it didn't matter who the Democratic nominee was because the issues I was dealing with in terms of freedom and free enterprise and religious liberty and the family and all the things that the right and especially Donald Trump stands for uh, were the same. And so now here all this time later, we end up with sleepy Joe Biden and, uh, you know, right now he's not very relevant. I mean, he's in his basement trying to do press interviews via uh, Skype or what, however they do it. And uh, he can't even make sense. He makes comments like uh, the cure will be worse than the problem. Or uh, he says stuff like, well, Donald Trump ought to act like a president. Oh, I'm sorry I said that. I mean, just like, you know. My mother is 91, and bless her heart, she's a wonderful woman, but her memory's pretty bad, and she really has some level of dementia. And so I've seen this developing, and I think Uncle Joe, uh, who's, you know, what is he, 13 years younger than my mother, I think he has the early stages of it. I heard a comedian the other day kind of make a parody of it and say when he's on TV, it's like he's saying, uh, gee, would somebody please come and rescue me. I'm not enjoying this. I'm not having fun. I wish I wasn't having to do this. I would like to go home and take a nap. And, yeah. you know, when you watch him, he almost sounds like that. So, of course, I'm expressing my opinion. What do you think of Joe Biden as a candidate? And, you know, of course, he's embraced uh, some far left. He's always been liberal. But my feeling is you could live li with liberals, but you can't live with how far left the Democratic Party has has gotten. What do you think? Well, I, I think Joe Biden is the guy that, you know, you always wonder what could have been. Joe Biden's wondering what, what would have been if I would have run in 26. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to capture the glory years. That's, he's, he's a horrible candidate. I mean, I still remember in the debate when he was like, I want you to go to Biden 203. Remember that? And if Trump had done that, that alone, 
if President Trump had done that, people would be talking about how President Trump needs to be removed through the Constitution. He's uh, clearly lost it. He's crazy. He can't read. You know, I watched him live when he um, he he was in uh, South Carolina and he introduced his his what was it his sister as his wife and his wife as his sister. I mean, he is clearly there is something wrong there. He's not. He's not with it. I've I've read um, news stories, I believe, on Breitbart, which says that his campaign staffers are trying to keep him from doing early morning interviews and late afternoon interviews because his memory just isn't there. So how how can somebody like that run the country if he can't even run his own campaign? I mean, how is he going to stand up to Donald Trump in a debate? This is going to be very, very laughable. Very simple. His enablers in the media are going to cover his tracks at every opportunity and pretend like, you know, nothing is wrong. I mean, look, listen, there's something interesting. You know, I, I, I noted your book, you know, when I, 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 I never learned the lesson of don't write in books when I was a child, you know, cause I've always been a reader. And the thing that you were very present in your, your, your book about was the ways that Democrats can win voter fraud and ballot harvesting were your three and four points. And they, I'll put it like this to you. you. By the way, your first two points were was about overconfidence and social media censorship. So, I mean, dead on with those. And by the way, those are something that clearly are one and two. But three and four, it's funny that you put them there because it's literally at the top of the list. And look at what the Democrats are trying to do right now. They're trying to do this. Everybody gets a ballot vote. And they're trying to put in ballot harvesting. And the thing is, is I mention all that because it's literally, you look at what they're trying to do with Biden. They're trying to cover up the fact that the guy doesn't know what he's talking about anymore. He has dementia. He has issues. And oh, by the way, so he's like their perfect candidate. He's a blank slate. They can put anything they want on him as long as they protect him from the harsh scrutiny of the American public. And you know what? They're creating problems and they're being they're focusing on Donald Trump instead of focusing on Joe Biden. That's number one. So they got their they got their perfect candidate. They got their perfect slate. And then they're trying to rig the game so they can win. So it's literally it's almost like textbook, like what they're trying to do. It's OK. We got our guy that basically he's so out of it. We can put anything in his mouth and say that it's true. We can edit him any which way we want. We just need him for five seconds to be on cue. And then we're going to make it so that everybody gets a ballot. So we'll be able to make sure that, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And then, oh, we'll have our team of young Democrats go pick up the ballots from everybody. But gee whiz, gosh, Aunt Becky, she just ain't here anymore. But I know she'd really like to vote for Joe Biden. Well, you know, the Republicans do it. Or how about this? You know, hey, listen, Aunt, Aunt Myrtle, she can't vote. She can't hold her pen to the paper, so I'll just do it for her. Right there. Well, well you know, it's, it, it's interesting to me that all the dead people who vote always vote Democratic. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, Wherever dead people vote, is, have you know, noticed this? the, the Republican Party is not perfect by any means, but there has never, to my knowledge, been anywhere close to that that type of fraud. And, you know, in Seminole County, I think that my mother lives in an assisted living center. There's a precinct there. And of course, she's registered to vote. She votes. She has, you know, her whole life, of course. 
but she can't drive. She doesn't get around very well. So I took her to the precinct. I had her ID with me, her voter registration card. I get there and they look on the computer and they say she can't vote. She's already voted. And I said, excuse me. And they said, oh, yeah, we have here that she voted. Well, the fact is that my mother could have gotten a ballot in the mail, filled it out and sent it in without me knowing it. And she could forget about it. However, at this point in her life, she doesn't have presence of mind to ask for a ballot to go to the mailbox and get it, fill it out, find a stamp and an envelope and send it in. She just doesn't. But I had no way of proving that. So all I could do is is leave. Now I take her to early voting and and there's a paper she can sign and I can help her vote. Uh, Of course, that's perfectly legal. I couldn't figure out why they wanted to eliminate my mother's vote other than she's a registered Republican and she's in a very Democratic uh, precinct. And maybe they were just trying to suppress the Republican votes. I don't know. But it's the only time that I've come face to face with that kind of thing. But I want to talk about what's happening in the country, you know, with this COVID-19 thing. Uh, We have seen the economy really go down. And that was one of the things that Donald Trump really had going for him. Now, as a conservative Christian, his stance on religious liberty and uh, all kinds of other freedoms, who he would put on the Supreme Court, that's all very important to me. But a lot of people that would never tend to vote Republican could support him just because the economy was booming. And one of the eight things that I put in that chapter, and the chapter was called why Trump might lose. One of the eight things was if the economy went in the tank. And I can remember working on the book, I thought this economy is so strong. I mean, you could have all kinds of things happen. I think it'd still be strong. But we saw that in basically three weeks, it undid all the things that Donald Trump had accomplished in three years. And it's really, and and Steve Bannon did an article, I think I saw it in Breitbart, that said that the economy tanking like this uh, is an existential threat to his reelection. Now, I'm hoping uh, that we will get past this virus. We will at some point. Even the bubonic plague, which killed a third of Europe, didn't last forever. But uh, we'll get it and we'll have an economy again. And I think it'll boom under President Trump's leadership. Of course, he's made comments like that. That's his vision. That's what he really wants to do. But it's, it's no certainty. And I, as I look at the left, it's almost like they're wanting to drag this thing out up until the election. So how, what effect do you think that COVID-19 and all the changes have happened to our day-to-day lives and how Americans see things differently, how do you think this will play into the election? Well, the first thing I think is, is this, and I think this is the, the big takeaway, is I don't. I don't think that, like the other day when the job numbers came out for unemployment, Wall Street didn't freak out. You know, they didn't freak out because everybody understands what's going on. The media in this regard has become their own worst enemy. I don't think anybody is sitting around. I just saw there's a poll. Some uh, news source came out with that said, um, you know, America's blamed Donald Trump for this. I don't think that's true. I don't think America blames Donald Trump for this any more than America's blamed the sun for being hot. But I think, though, the first thing is, is that everybody understands what's going on. So, yes, people will be hurting. Yes, there's going to be problems with with, you know, cash flow. But, you know, I think people appreciate everything President Trump has done and is going to do 
to get us out of this mess. That's number one. Number two is this isn't like a zombie plague hit planet Earth and now we're trying to pick up the pieces 100 years later. Look, the stores are all still there. The stuff is still in all those stores. The stuff is still there unless it's toilet paper for you to go buy. You know, it's all still there. Um, People, when this is over, are going to be able to go get jobs again. People are going to be able to go make money. People are going to go buy stuff and go to restaurants again. In fact, dare I say, I think after this all happens, I think the restaurant industry, the entertainment industry is going to see booms like we haven't ever seen before because people want to get out of the house and do stuff. So I don't think that that's, I think that that right there in and of itself, I think that there's a pause. The economy has hit a pause and there you are. I agree with you. I think they want to draw this out. I think they want to keep people more, more and more uh, afraid because fear is what drives the Democrat uh, uh, machinery. But I think though that they're creating another problem for themselves and I think it's much larger. And the problem is twofold. Either the media is going to have to agree that Donald Trump saved a lot of American lives. I don't think we're going to see 100,000 people dead. I don't, I don't think we're going to see 250,000 people dead. We may. But, you know, remember, this was supposed to kill millions of Americans. Millions. This was supposed to kill 500,000. I don't remember the exact number, but the California governor came out, Newsom, came out and said, um, this is going to kill 100,000 Californians. It hasn't, and it's not going to. California is, I, I saw the projections of it. California is not New York. It's not even going to get close to New York. So that's one. They have to say that Donald Trump saved lives. That's catastrophic for the Democrats' hopes. The second one is the media has to fall on their own sword and say they were wrong. If they fall they on their won't. own sword, they won't. Exactly. They've had many, many, many opportunities. They won't do it. No, yeah, there you go. So they're going to have to say Donald Trump was right. Now, of course, I understand the immediate counterargument is the media won't. They'll use a bunch of double talk. They'll weasel their way out. They weasel their way out of this. I think it's the situation of pulling back the curtain of the Wizard of Oz and there's the wizard. I think that at that point, it's, you know, well, you said that millions of Americans were going to die and no one died. You said this was going to be this catastrophic disaster. And the only catastrophic disaster was is I had to hang out with my family for two weeks, you know, kind of thing. Um, not that it's bad to hang out with your family, but you know what I mean. You know, the, the old joke, um, you know, I, I, I think that that's what's going to happen. And I think that it's going to I in my heart of hearts, I think the American media is in for a huge reckoning. And it's not Fox News. It's not the conservative, you know, outlets. It's it's MSNBC. It's NBC, CBS, ABC. It's these guys who have stoked the fear to the point that people are afraid and they're scared and they're selling off uh, stock portfolios to save their assets and so on and so forth. I, I think that they're in for a traumatically bad time. And the funny part is, is I think the media will sell out the Democrats quick because the one thing that I have experienced with the news media myself personally, you start talking about fake news. And they freak out. And I use that word. I've used that word a couple of times, but that's another good example of it. They get scared because the only thing the media has is their credibility. That's it. The moment they lose their credibility, they're no better than Howard Stern. You're yeah. absolutely right. You know, and we, we're going to have to wrap this up. Podcasts are usually 
uh, fairly short, but there are a couple more things I want to talk about. One is the travel ban that President Trump did in late January. Now, this is when he was dealing with the impeachment and everything else, but he saw what was happening and put a travel ban from China. Now, they say the first case was in Washington state and it was uh, somebody who flew in from China. You know, if we had kept that person out and anybody else who had the disease, like let's say somebody had a crystal ball and had done it, we would have no coronavirus right now. But the, and at the time the media was, uh, talking about him being xenophobic and it wasn't dangerous. Uh, in the debate, both Bernie and uh, Biden said that they would not have closed the border. Well, of course they wouldn't. They believe in open borders. But I've been interested to watch that we finally have closed our southern border. And it's when they figured out that all these illegal immigrants were bringing in disease, including the coronavirus. And suddenly they're just sending them back. They're, they're not getting a court case. They're not going through the loopholes and everything else. It's just very interesting to see. And there was a whole bunch of these people uh, early on that were saying, oh, this isn't dangerous. We don't have to worry about it. So who was it who said it wasn't passed from people to people? Well, of course, that's all been debunked. But it's like the left talked about that. In fact, they called it the Chinese coronavirus, or they talked about the Wuhan virus. I mean, if you watch Tucker Carlson, he he enjoys running all these clips again and again and again, in which they say it. And then later on, when Trump calls it the Chinese virus, again, he's xenophobic. Or now they're saying uh, Trump didn't do enough. Nancy Pelosi says millions will die because Trump, you know, didn't act soon enough. I mean, it's just to me, it's almost laughable. And how they think they can get away with this kind of hyperbole is beyond me. What do you think? Uh, I, there's a lot of things you said there that I want to comment on. One of them is um, what you said about Nancy Pelosi. You know, the Democrats have this scam working of, you know, President Trump didn't do anything. You know, you guys were the ones who weren't doing anything, Democrats. You're the ones who were trying to impeach the president. You were the ones who took us down that farce, that three-year farce of President Trump is colluding with the Russians and President Trump is this evil dictator and you guys are the ones who are locking people in their own homes, keeping people from being able to exercise their constitutional rights and blaming President Trump for doing nothing when you had the whole nation focused in on impeaching President Trump. So much so that when the first person in our country died from the coronavirus, Nancy Pelosi put on her, her Twitter account, which by the way, you know, they always love to talk about President Trump's Twitter account, Put on her Twitter account, the American people needed to tune in to find out about the impeachment that day. Not, hey, look, we have this, you know, uh, 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 growing uh, virus, viral problem, and the president's doing nothing about it. Nothing, not a word, nothing from her at all. In fact, you know what? I remember her ripping up. She had a bigger statement about ripping up the president's speech, remember? Then, you know, she could have held a little sign up, do something about the coronavirus, President Trump. Anything, nothing. Nothing from that lady. Nothing at all. Well, I'm hoping the American people see through this. And uh, apparently a vast majority, like 60 percent, which in political terms is huge, uh, people approve of how he is handling it. I think he's showing real leadership. He's gotten the private sector to work with the government. Remember when the CDC wanted to do 100 percent of the tests? I mean, if they if the government had done the test, people get results in November and instead. <laughs> Instead, he got the private 
pharmaceutical companies, which the Democrats hate, by the way. But, you know, they came up with this little five minute test. There's all kinds of things that are at least possibilities. And you're right. This is not the bubonic plague. The scary thing is that people don't have antibodies built up. So the death rate uh, is higher than it is for the common flu. But as everybody knows, the common flu kills tens of thousands of people every year, kind of depending on how severe it is. But there's one other thing I want to talk about, and that's the Democratic Party machinery that got behind Biden and kind of decided that he would win. Now, we saw this happen with Hillary Clinton. In fact, it actually came out publicly and was actually an embarrassment to her. Of course, it didn't change anything. And it, and it looks like they did it again with Biden. You had all of these candidates up there. None of them had a following, uh, with the possible exception of Bernie Sanders. None of them. Now, they had their supporters, of course, but there wasn't the same kind of dynamic as with Ronald Reagan or uh, Donald Trump, of course. And Biden was not doing very well. And then all of a sudden, the Democrats pressure all these people that had raised millions of dollars and worked real hard to get the, you know, to get as far as they had in the campaign to drop out on the same weekend. And I'm saying to myself, these people have real power. And they it's like they decided Biden's our guy and everybody kind of got in line. Now, I have never been involved in party politics. I just haven't. Um, you are involved in party politics, you know, at a different level. But what kind of power does a political party have that they can kind of decide who could win, especially when the person is so weak as Joe Biden? Well, I, I think you ask a great question, and I'll tell you now, and I, I've learned it the hard way. Because, I mean, look, I'm, I'm the chairman of a county that's larger than 10 states. I mean, Orange County is larger than 10 American states. Population-wise, you mean? That's yeah, population-wise. And, and I guess it's larger uh, than Rhode Island in square miles, isn't it? Yeah, probably so, too. Um, the thing that I've learned, and I've learned the hard way, is that Republicans are thinkers. You know, look, I can't tell you the number of Republicans. And by the way, I was there myself before I became the chairman of the party. Is it like, look, I could not stand John Bonner. I couldn't stand him. It was like capitulation city. It was every time you needed somebody with some backbone to stand up to the Democrats— He'd fold. He'd fold like a cheap tent. It was ridiculous. And the point is, though, is that's us. You know, we have brains. We think. The Democrats, though, on the other hand, have you ever noticed? They may fight. They may argue a little bit here and there, but they're lockstep. They, like, turn off the brains and they goose step down the strassa, you know, and it's ridiculous. But that's what they do. And, you know, what they did here with Biden— you know, they, they, as soon as the coronavirus hit, before we shut down the courthouses, before we said, hey, we have a lockdown order in Orange County or Florida, or there was death number one, I think, in New York State, if you could believe that. If I recall, or it was still very early in New York, the Democrats were like, hey, we should cancel all our primaries now because the coronavirus is too deadly. And it wasn't, they hadn't even decided yet. They hadn't even had the finalization of basically what happened where Biden, you know, I've won enough of the delegate votes that Bernie, you're not going to be able to win this thing. And still, they haven't even gone all the way yet. I mean, Bernie really, he still had a mathematical possibility. They could have still had a, a brokered convention, but they were still talking about that. And I mean, look, 
They changed the rules on Tulsi. I mean, look, she's a liberal. I don't like her because she's a Democrat. I mean, I dislike her politics because she's a Democrat. I don't, you know, but, um, you know. In other words, it's not personal. I know what you mean. In fact, yeah. in some ways, she's personality-wise, I find her rather winsome. And I like the way she stood up to Hillary Clinton. But oh. I agree, her policies, she is certainly somebody I would never vote for. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, is that she was finally, basically, she had won enough delegates to be in the next the next debate, the one they did in Washington where they stood six feet away from each other and there was no audience. And I think it was on CNN on, on that network. And she had enough to win to be on that debate stage. And guess what? They were like, they changed the rules. They changed the rules like the week before the debate. So she couldn't appear. And that's the Democrats. That's what they do. It's it's the most ridiculous thing. I, I, I got this from Rush Limbaugh. And I remember hearing it as a kid, and, I, I, and I've carried it with me every day since. It's, look at what the Democrats are accusing you of doing. That's what they're doing. And it's literally true. It's like right now they're trying to say President Trump is uh, trying to circumvent the Constitution. And, and they're the ones who want to change how we vote in the United States of America for every single election we've ever had, ever. They're the ones who are thinking about... Well, we need to give it so that, by the way, and one of the issues that they're out there talking about, they want to give taxpayer money to illegal aliens. They want them to be able to get in on the $1,200, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, stimulus package that we're giving everybody. Uh, you know, they're not supposed to be here in this country. They broke the law. So what are we supposed to do next? Everybody gets a speeding ticket. You get... You know, you get some extra money, too. Uh, it, it just doesn't work. But that's what they want to do. It's it's really it, it's it's a I don't know when it happened, when when the Democrat Party basically, for lack of a better phrase, started to hate America. You know, I, I, don't I think know when it was the Vietnam War era yeah. and, and when they hated Nixon, they hated Nixon, at least at the time, it seemed like the kind of hatred we see against Trump, I think it kind of pales by comparison. But I think that's when it switched. Remember, there were riots at the Democratic National Convention in 1968. I'm old enough to remember those uh, riots. And you wonder, at least with, if Bernie Sanders had been denied the nomination at the convention, you know, you wonder if his radical supporters would have, you know, resorted to something like that. Of course, now we'll never know. But we're going to have to wrap this up. And um, I want to just make some comments about the election and my book. Of course, you know, we could talk about this for hours and I'm enjoying talking uh, with you about it. Uh, we'll, you know, we would never get to the bottom of it. But the reason I wrote the book was to grapple with some of these things. Of course, I did it more from a Christian perspective of what's happening to our rights and and what is morality happening in our country and what policies, you know, help morality instead of hurting it. And I mean, that's a whole discussion in itself. But I mean, I wrote a whole book on it. I never envisioned the coronavirus, of course, uh, even though we knew that pandemics have happened in history. And I guess we know that there was a possibility. I did not think it would happen. I started wondering if my how relevant my book was. Now, I I realized that we would probably be back to normal before the election, but I have been stunned. I got two reports today. The, the sales of my book, God, Trump, and the 2020 election have held up. One of the reasons is because 
uh, people buy it on Amazon. I guess they have more time to read. And also it's available at Walmart, which is still open. A lot of the other bookstores are closed and we have lots and lots of books in Walmart and people are just, I guess, looking for something to read. So I've been encouraged in a way. And I guess it makes me realize that people are still uh, thinking about things, you know, kind of like you referred to earlier, because these issues are going to exist uh, long after the coronavirus is more or less forgotten. Uh, some very serious trends going on in our country. And my premise with my book, this book and, and the ones I wrote before is Donald Trump is not perfect. In fact, he's not even necessarily our first choice to be leader, but he's been the right man at the right time with, in my opinion, the right temperament to shake up Washington, get rid of the deep state, or at least to expose the deep state and to start to turn some things around. And that's why we need to keep him in office. So I hope the people who are listening, and by the way, I hope you share this. uh, I think people are sharing my podcast because since the coronavirus, they've gone crazy. I've had a million in just over a month. And I never used to have those kinds of numbers. And I think it's because people are interested in it. I, I think people will be interested in this whole thing about what's happening with Bernie Sanders dropping out and the other things about the Democratic Party and the election that we talked about. So I think the, my book is still um, it's still relevant. It's still vital. And you can buy it, you know, mostly online now, but also Walmart and Sam's, both of those places uh, we're getting pretty big numbers. And so I'm encouraged by that. You, we also have a website. It's called God Trump 2020 is kind of a shortened version of the book is God Trump 2020.com. And if you buy it from us, the copy you get will be autographed by the author. And so if that's important to you, some people like to get first editions of books that are autographed. You can always go there and buy it. So now that I've gotten a little, given a little plug for my book, I'll ask my guest, uh, Charles Hart from Orlando, Florida, to give us the last word. Well, two things. Um, I, I could say something that I liked about your book was, is you you have a part in it that talks about what is Donald Trump really like, and I think it captures who he is. I've I've had the the, the luxury and the pleasure to meet him, and um, and also too I I've been at a couple closed door events, and he you you nailed it in your book, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I would tell you I'm looking at it right now. I I went and whipped it out, you know, and um, I think that was one of the things about it that he's, you nailed it. You know, he, um, he had a, uh, one of the experiences I had with him was he was in a, a closed door dinner and, you know, and I thought he was going to be blustery and, you know, come out and really just go after the Democrats. Mind you, he had just been impeached, right? Um, the, the impeachment had just happened. And instead, you know, president Trump gets on stage and he goes, you know, I really don't know what these guys problem is, but, we're going to sort it off. He was funny. He was nice. I mean, not like I would have expected. He was totally opposite of what I thought he would be like. You know what I mean? That time. And um, it blew me away. It blew me away. I I'm, I hope I'm doing a good enough um, talk about what it was like. But it was, it was, he's an incredibly personable person and a good guy. Just a good guy. I mean, that's what I took away from it. Just, you know, you know, I've, I've had experiences with other politicians in a closed door setting like that. They would have been saying some very un, unpolite things. Um, and President Trump didn't do that. It's like, you know, I think he's like kind of like a, you know, he's he's like a, a, a 
uh, a New York street fighter kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like he's tough out on the streets because that's how he has to be to survive. But when he's with the people that he likes and he loves, he's as gentle as a pussycat. You know, he's just a nice guy. You, know? you nailed that. And I'm, I'm glad that came through in the book. I quoted other people who told very similar stories. And there's even a chapter in there called Promises Made, Promises Kept. And isn't that delightful to get a president? I mean, even some of our Republican uh, presidents, uh, men I've admired, they would say one thing when they ran, George H.W. Bush comes to mind, yeah. and then they governed very differently. You remember remember the line, um, read my lips about no new taxes? Uh, you know, and, and really most of the politicians are like that. But Donald Trump, man, he wants he wants to keep his promises. So I've just really enjoyed talking to you. We'll have to do this again sometime, maybe closer to the election. Is I wish, one thing I do wish is I wish the American people could get behind Donald Trump, regardless of what their political party is, everything else right now in this moment of crisis. And it saddens me that they don't. Because you know what you know, the Democrats and the friends in the media would be doing if Obama was in. It would be a sin not to support the president. He's trying to do the best for all of us, regardless of what your political beliefs are. He's trying to do his best. I mean, you know, he's not perfect, you know, but he's trying to do his best for us. And it, it saddens me that we can't get, you know, the media is getting in the way between us getting behind this guy. He's a great president and he's doing everything he can. Well, nobody is perfect except Christ, yeah. in my opinion. And they killed him. We're thinking about that this week. Um, and uh, none of us are perfect. Donald Trump's not perfect. That's not an excuse not to support his policies. And I, I think you said that very well. So thank you, uh, Charles Hart, uh, who's a trial attorney from Orlando, Florida, for being my guest. And just talking to me, talking politics. This is the kind of stuff you sit in a restaurant and shoot the breeze, or at least I do with some of the political friends that I have. And uh, I always enjoy talking about it. And we're, we're at a turning point in our country. I really believe that. I believe that uh, what we're going through right now is transformational in ways that we don't necessarily know what the outcome is going to be. But um, I think it's important to keep supporting the president like you articulated so well. So thank you to my listeners for tuning in to this edition of my podcast. And uh, check out the other podcast, uh, the ones uh, on the Charisma Podcast Network. Tune in again tomorrow. Thank you for listening.